Well, amen to all of that. You guys can be seated. Um, and as you do, let me go ahead and ask our graduates to make their way to the stage. I'm going to ask you guys, and actually before you go, you want to just stay up here? You're graduating. So let me get y'all to stand up for the summer. We finished up our journey through the book of James, and we're going to be starting a series called Standing on the Promises. I'm excited for this, but it seems that we would do well to take a step back before we jump into the promises. So uh, this morning, we won't actually look uh, too much at any particular promise for us. Instead, I want us to spend some time thinking on who our God is. You see, promises are meaningful or meaningless depending on who gives the promise. And so we live in a, a world where we've grown, I think, accustomed to taking promises with a grain of salt. We see promises made and promises broken all the time. But you know the game with politicians. Politicians make big promises, and you know, and I know, that those promises aren't being kept, but they're simply given as a way so that politicians can get what they want. Maybe you've driven down I-35 and you've seen the billboard that says, one day you'll love I-35, until then drive carefully, and we all know that's not happening. <laughs> that's a promise, but we don't take it seriously because we know that many promises made aren't promises that will actually be kept. I was talking with Mary, my wife, a couple of days ago about kind of the plan for this morning. And I mentioned to her that this is, it feels like a strange, a difficult Sunday to speak of God's faithfulness because it's been a difficult week. So we have some joking things about promises made and not promises kept, but we also, this week, our denomination was rocked by the news that there has been some really unfaithful acting by leaders at the top. For decades, women in our denomination have been sexually abused, and the abusers have gotten off and been hidden, and those who've been abused have been told to be quiet and go stand in the corner. It's a difficult thing to talk about our God being faithful when our denomination is rocked by faithlessness. These are difficult things to hold together. And then, just a, a day or two later, our country and our world was rocked by the news in Uvalde as dozens were senselessly massacred in, uh, in an elementary school, and to hold together our God is the faithful God, and children being senselessly murdered, those two things don't appear to fit. You feel that? And so I was telling Mary that this is a difficult Sunday to be talking about this, and she corrected me. She said, in fact, this is actually the exact Sunday when we should be reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. 
So that's the plan this morning. In difficult days, it is good for us as God's people to fix our eyes on the faithful God. And so graduates, as you close out one chapter and enter a new chapter, I hope, I pray, that this short meditation on God's faithfulness will serve you well, will remind you of who your God is, that will enable you to endure through long and difficult and hard seasons. And church, I want to remind you as well, God's faithfulness is one of those things that is really easy to believe, to declare, to hold on to when things are going well. You've sensed this. When your life is easy, when things make sense, when things go well, of course God is faithful to you. When you're on the mountain, God's faithfulness is easy to see. But things change a bit when you enter the valley. When things are difficult, when they are confusing, when your life is not well, Believing that in those moments God is faithful is a much different task. Mary and I uh, got to learn some of this a few years ago. Uh, We'd been married for some time and uh, had been trying to get pregnant and had not been able to. We finally went to go see a doctor and were told it was really unlikely that we would be able to get pregnant. We took this as... Uh, news from God of closing one door and opening another. We had, before we got married, been talking about adoption. We believe that to be against abortion means you have to be in some way for adoption. And so we read this as God closing off one door and pushing us through another. And so we jumped off with both feet into looking at adoption agencies, filling out paperwork, saving money, all of the things that come with that. And in early 2018... To our great delight and surprise, we found out Mary was pregnant. This is a blessing that we hadn't been looking for anymore. We'd given up hope on that and had begun looking a different direction. And in our great delight, on top of the mountaintop, it was easy to see God's faithfulness at work. And so we decided we should name our son Emmett Eli. It means faithful is my God. Because it's easy to see God's faithfulness when you are on a mountain. However, on the mountain, we would not stay. Later that year in June, Mary went into labor on June 10th, and our son was born very early, just a little bit over 24 weeks. Technically, Viable, but the doctors weren't particularly optimistic. And we were faced with a difficult decision. We picked our son's name when days were good, when life was easy, when God's faithfulness was easy to point to and name. But at that moment, we sat in a different position. We were faced with the difficult question of what does it mean to declare that our God is faithful when this blessing that we hadn't even been asking for anymore, that we'd given up hope on, was now threatened to be taken from us. 
how do you call God faithful when what appears to be happening is a blessing dangled in front of you only to be taken? Well, after 26 long and hard-fought hours, our son died on June 11th, 6.05 that morning. And one of the things that we learned in the course of the season after that is that God's faithfulness, I don't want you to hear this, church. God's faithfulness is not measured by your present circumstances. God's faithfulness is measured by Jesus, who is raised from the dead. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, then we have Faithfulness of God is is a funny thing because it is so difficult to see when your life is difficult. This is a similar challenge that is facing many of our brothers and sisters in Uvalde this morning. This, This, I don't know if you've thought about this, this is the first morning, first Sunday morning where Christians in Uvalde have gathered together at church in the wake of their children's death to worship the God that we call faithful. And the question I think before them is what does it mean to believe that your God is faithful when you go home to an empty bedroom? How do you do that? And so this morning, that's, that's the plan, is we want to reflect and worship our faithful God. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 105. Father, you are the faithful God. You are faithful when it is easy to see your faithfulness. And you remain faithful when we cannot see how it is that you are faithful in this moment. And so we pray for our brothers and our sisters in Uvalde. We pray that you would help them this morning to trust in your faithfulness even if they struggle to point to it. I pray for us that we would find great strength and hope in your faithfulness. I pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 105 is is where we'll be this morning. We're going to start in verse 7. One of the things that I think you may notice as we read through a chunk of Psalm 105, we're going to go um, all the way through verse 42, is this is, I think for us, a little bit of a strange way to speak of God's faithfulness. You see, we tend to think in terms of propositions. If X, then Y. If I'm a husband, then I must have a wife. If this is true, then this is true. 
But the Bible often moves in a little bit different direction. And so over and over and over again, when the Bible wants to assert that God is faithful, the Bible doesn't make just a statement. The Bible tells a story. And the reason for that is that God's faithfulness is not merely a proposition. It's not something that you just mentally believe. God's faithfulness is storied. And so we'll see that in Psalm 105. If you're taking notes and want to jot down a few other places to look at this afternoon, let me give you a few of those that do a similar thing. So Deuteronomy 29, Joshua 24, Psalm 66 and 78 and 106 and Acts 2 and 7 and 13. These are some of the places where God's people want to reflect and think about God's faithfulness. And when they do, they don't just tell themselves over and over and over again that God is faithful. They remind themselves of how specifically God has been faithful because God's past faithfulness gives us reason to believe in his present and future faithfulness. So Psalm 105, I'm going to start in verse 7. And we'll go through verse 42. Here's what the psalmist says. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham and his sworn promise to Isaac which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And when they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he, God, allowed no one to oppress them, He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. And when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. And he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, and they performed signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke And there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. 
He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. And he spread a cloud of covering and fire to give light by night. And they asked, and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he, God, remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. If you're taking notes, um, just quick organizational note for you. I've got three short points for you. The first one is this. God has been faithful in the past. That's who God has been. God has been faithful in the past. And so we read earlier this morning out of Genesis 12, and there God called Abram, and he made him a few promises. He told Abram, that he was to go to a new land, and that God would give this land to him and to his descendants as an inheritance. He told Abram that his people would become a mighty nation. And he told them that these people would then become a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. God's promise to Abram stood in stark contrast to the reality of Adam. So where Adam showed up and brought curses, Abram's family was to bring blessings. Well, that's all well and good until you actually start to read Genesis. And you, when you read Genesis and think about the promises that God made to Abraham, you notice that these promises are constantly in danger of being broken. Abraham and Sarah can't have a kid. If they can't have a kid, what becomes of the promises? Abram, Abraham is then called to sacrifice Isaac, the son that they had. And if Isaac is sacrificed, what becomes of the promises that God made to Abraham? But these aren't the challenges that the psalmist brings up. The psalmist moves forward a little bit farther. And so in verses 7 to 16, the psalmist reflects on the story from Abraham to the famine. So hopefully you remember the story. Abraham's family does indeed begin to grow. They're not a a great faithful family. In fact, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, has 12 sons, and 11 of those sons decide to sell one of those sons into slavery. He marches off to Egypt, and Abraham's family is left. And this family encounters a famine. That's what the psalmist highlights. And from verses 7 to 16, the psalmist takes us to a dangerous position. God promised Abraham many great things. But if all of Abraham's family were to starve to death from the famine, the question that then hangs 
is how can God be faithful if all of his people are on the brink of salvation, are on the brink of starvation? There seems to be, we would say, I think, no way out. It appears that God cannot be faithful to the promises that he made. But the psalmist knows better, and hopefully you and I know better, because God has been up to something. Joseph, the son who had been sold into slavery, is the solution for God's faithfulness. It's a strange solution, but it is the solution that the psalmist remembers. And so in verses 17 to 25, the psalmist continues to tell this story of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is endangered because the people are on the brink of starvation. But Joseph, who's gone ahead of them to Egypt, has set aside food and has prepared that for them. But you know, this is not the end of the story. Because as God's people then move into Egypt, they multiply, they increase in number. This sounds like fulfilling of the promises to Abraham. But then a new Pharaoh comes on the throne who doesn't remember Joseph. And this Pharaoh gets a little bit nervous with the people descended from Abraham. And he enslaves them. And when that doesn't do the trick, this Pharaoh decides to begin killing them. And the question again looms large. If God's people are wiped out at the hands of this Pharaoh, what becomes of God's promises? It begins to be easy to think of God's promises like the promises that we are so familiar with. Promises made, but unable to be kept. And so at the end of this section, the question is, can God be faithful when his people are enslaved And murdered. Again, there seems no way out. But our God is the God who is faithful. And so the psalmist continues the story and he tells the story of Moses through the wilderness in verses 26 to 42. And the question for how God can be faithful to his people is again a strange, unexpected answer. Moses gets dropped in a basket, floated down the river, and raised by the very household that is at work actively trying to destroy all of God's good promises. Moses is then raised there, sent into the wilderness, returns, and leads God's people, Abraham's family, out of slavery, out of murder, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness, where they are cared for and taken care of by Each time, it appears that there is no way out, that God's promises have reached a dead end and will be undone. And each time, in shocking and surprising ways, God moves mysteriously and wonderfully to be faithful to the promises that he's made in the most unexpected of ways. The psalmist didn't know the rest of the future, but you and I, who have the benefit of living on this side of the cross, are able to stretch this story out a little bit more. In fact, in fact, if you continue reading through your Bible and you get to the book of Acts, this same story is told over and over again, 
But this time, the story is a little bit longer. Because this time, the people have seen a little bit more of God's faithfulness. And so this time, we get the story of Jesus. Jesus is born. Jesus begins his ministry, and he teaches wonderful things. He proclaims forgiveness of sins. He heals people. And then Jesus is tragically murdered. And it appears at this point that God's good promises have reached their end, that there is no way forward. That's not the end of the story, because God's faithfulness continues to move in ways that we don't quite expect. And so Jesus is raised from the dead. Church, one of the purposes of us gathering together over and over again is that we might remind one another of God's track record. I want you to notice something about what the psalmist tells us. These promises were kept only after it seemed there was no way for them to be kept. You see that? Our God is a faithful God, a promise-keeping God, but the way that he keeps his promises is strange by our standards. And because we are a forgetful people, we need one another to continue to remind us that God remains faithful even when, and particularly when, it seems there is no way for him to be faithful. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. God has been faithful in the past. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God's faithfulness doesn't take away suffering. This is one of the ways that God's faithfulness works itself out in a way that is different than we would imagine. The patriarchs were still on the brink of starvation. God's faithfulness didn't keep them from being really hungry. And when they were in Egypt, God's faithfulness didn't keep Israel from being enslaved. God's faithfulness didn't keep many of their children from being murdered. You see that? God's faithfulness doesn't take away suffering. As Paul would say in Romans 8, all of creation continues to grow. Dozens were still murdered in Uvalde. Many were still abused under the oversight of leaders from our denomination. You and I will continue to suffer and to have difficult days and hard seasons. And we will continue to have this question lingering before our minds. Can God be faithful if fill it in? This isn't a question that goes away. And so as we look forward and begin to consider God's promises for the rest of the summer, 
One of the questions that I think if we're paying attention at all to our own lives and to the world around us is going to be, yes, I recognize that the Bible says this about God's promise, but this does not seem to jive with present reality. And the question will continue to be before us, how do we call God faithful when this is our reality? And I know this isn't a particularly comforting or tidy answer, but God's faithfulness does not take away your suffering or my suffering. Paul points to a strange place in Romans 8. So he says, all creation groans. And the solution that then Paul offers isn't an immediate one, isn't one that takes away our groaning quickly. He points at the end, to the reminder that we cannot be separated from the love of God. This is neither height nor depth, neither death nor life. No power in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that does very little to fix what's presently happening. But it does give you the strength to trust that God is faithful, and to keep moving on through suffering, pain, and confusion. So God has been faithful in the past. God's faithfulness doesn't take away suffering. And then here's the last one. God's faithfulness vindicates trusting him for the future. So here's the reality. Whether someone should be believed for their promises isn't based on how many superlatives they stack up. It's not based on how many things they swear by. In fact, many who will swear by a whole lot of different things are doing that precisely because their word can't be taken. The believability of a promise is based on the character of the person. And so if someone were to tell you, Go ahead and drive through Austin. I promise you'll see no traffic. You would be foolish to believe it because the track record says no. But when God makes promises, we're not foolish to believe those promises even when it looks like there's no way they can be true. And the reason that we're not foolish to believe those promises in those moments is because God has a long track record of being faithful in shocking and surprising and unexpected ways. God's character is unimpeachable. When he makes promises, he keeps promises. So the rest of the summer, as we think about promises from God, here's my encouragement to you. Don't bank the believability of that promise on what you currently see before you. Trust that promise because it's God who made it. And God is the one who's raised Jesus from the dead. And so Christian. This is your God. Behold him. You have reason to rejoice. You have reason to take heart. 
You have reason for boldness and courage. You have reason to continue pressing on through dark and difficult days because your God always keeps his promises. It may not be in your timing. It may not be in your way, but he keeps his promises. So rejoice, take heart, and be bold. If you're here right now and you're not a Christian... Let me invite you. Come to this God. I promise. Here's a promise. There is none like this God. You are surrounded by a world that makes promises and breaks promises. Sometimes maliciously and sometimes because people just don't have the power to do what they think they can. There is none who makes promises and keeps promises like this God. And so if you don't know this God, if you don't trust this God, if you don't worship this God, let me make an invitation to you that is the same invitation that this God offers to you. Come. This God says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let me invite you. Repent. Turn from the things that you currently trust and trust the only one who is actually worthy of being trusted. He will be good on his word. So church, rejoice. You have a good God. You have a faithful God. And over the course of the summer, as we continue to slow down Think and reflect on these promises. Let me encourage you. Believe them. Believe them not because you are able to make them happen. Not because someone else is able to make them happen. But because you serve the faithful God who continually brings his promises to pass. Pray with me. Faithful God. You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise and glory and honor because you are the one who keeps his promises. So may we be a people who remember your story, who give ourselves to actively reminding ourselves of what you have done, that we might believe what you say you will do. Give us the courage to do this, we pray. Amen. You go ahead and stand. We will sing together again.